Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. You guys ever made a mess of things? I mean, really made a mess of things. I have. Yesterday, my brother called me and, re- and told me that my dad had made a mess of things. Well, my dad lives in Florida during the winter. And so my brother stops in at his house just to check on things, right? And my dad's got this really cool wood shop. And in the wood shop is a whole bunch of equipment and sawdust and wood chips. And he apparently left a sack, a bag of horse feed in the wood shop. But there's nobody in the wood shop for months, right? My brother sends me a video and he sends not just me, but the whole family, all the guys got this video. He said, I wonder if you could help me clean this mess up. How many of you know that You only need one female and one male mouse. And within, you know, their gestation period is like 20 days. And that if there is feed or something else that mice might like in a space that isn't occupied by humans, they might just become an infestation. Yeah. I don't know how many mice there were. But we all got the SOS, and we showed up, and one of us was assigned uh, to the broom to start brooming, cleaning up the floor, and the dead mice, they're already in there, and the dead mouse had created lots of poop that was around, so we had to clean that up. Another one had the blower, because we were blowing dust and everything out from behind the equipment and behind the stacked wood that my dad never throws away. It's there. The smallest of pieces is there. He'll use it someday. He's 84, but he's going to use it someday, right? Anyhow, I digress. Somebody had a scoop shovel to uh, clean up the, the sawdust and to kill the mice. And somebody else was assigned to watch the corners because who knows, you know that mice actually run along the wall. They don't just run out over the middle of the room, most likely, unless they're really scared, which we got a few of those yesterday. But here they are, and one of us is, there's a lot of yelling, right? No screaming, but a lot of yelling, right? We, just to be clear, a lot of yelling. There it goes, there it goes, there it goes. And my nephew, Zach, is over there with the scoop shovel, and he's like, whack, whack. He broke some glass in the process, but he got the mouse, Who do you call? Who do you ask for when someone, when you look at your life and all of a sudden you realize you have just created a mess that is, you can't fix it. You can't fix the mess in your life. Who do you call to come with the scoop shovel with with the right tool to whack those little devils that are running all over the place in your life? Who do you call? Who do you have in your life that you call and say, can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? See, we all need those people in our lives that can can come alongside us 
that come with the right attitude, with the right tools. Sometimes that tool, the most powerful tool in the tool belt is prayer. Sometimes we need that person to come alongside us. But you got to be ready. You got to be willing. You got to humble yourself. We all do because we all have stuff. Last week, Brenda talked to us about who is in our life that can call us on it. That's a significant piece of the way of Jesus is to gather as a people, to come alongside each other, to recognize those places in our own lives, the humility that we are, that's required to actually say, here it is, here it is. Here's where I need help. We've been in a series called Starting Point. We all have a starting point. Our faith has a starting point. We all start somewhere. When you make a mess of things, sometimes you need forgiveness because of that mess. I don't know about you, but I've needed forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I need forgiveness on the regular. Some of us just wish we could get a do-over. Can I just start over? What do we need forgiveness for? What are the things? What's all the stuff that we need forgiveness for? Is it the stuff from high school? Like the time you didn't come home when your mom and dad said you need to be home, you missed curfew. Do we need forgiveness for that? Maybe you were just young. These are the things we think about. Maybe you were just young. Maybe you were drunk. Yeah, that happens. Maybe you were angry. Maybe you were lonely. We make a lot of wrong decisions when we're lonely, when we're by ourselves. Maybe you were broke. Maybe you just didn't know better. All of those can be true. All of those can be true. All of us have been young. Some of us have made, I mean, we've all made decisions, bad decisions. And some of them we can look back on and laugh. And others, well, those adulting decisions. Those adulting decisions. Like the affair that we don't want anybody to know about. That thing that turned into a divorce. Whew. Those are not as funny as some of our young, young days mistakes. What about that addiction? And some of you are saying right now, whew, glad he didn't call me out yet. I'm not going to call everybody out. I just want to make a point that there are some things in our lives that we can't just laugh off. There are some things in our lives that have permanent ramifications. They can be forgiven. But it doesn't just stop with you. Those ramifications don't just stop with you and me. They go on and on. They impact people that we don't even intend to impact. The decisions you make today in your adult years 
can have a negative impact for generations to come. It's important. Life, the decisions we make, the choices we make, they're incredibly, incredibly important. What do you do when you have a failure? What do you do when you have a regret? See, some of us, some of us, um, we justify, we ignore, we set aside, we dismiss until we can't. And then many of us rely on coping mechanisms to take care of our adult discretions, our mistakes, and our sins. But you and I both know that those are just numbing agents. Those things we do to cope. Those are just numbing agents. Sometimes we, when we justify, we dumb down dumb decisions by comparing them to other people's dumb decisions. Right? We compare and contrast and hopefully we come out better than the other person. It is true nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But when we excuse and when we rationalize our sin... It's like an aspirin. It's temporary, but the pain returns. See, we think that the more shame and guilt, see if this fits. We think that the more shame and guilt we feel, the more penitence we do, the more favor God shows. A while back, I had someone say, you know, Gene, I need your preaching just to step on my toes a little more. I need you to preach harder. Like, I need to hear it. Okay, okay, I could do that. But why do you need to feel so much game and Shilton, Shilton game? <laughs> Guilt and shame. That could have been really bad. <laughs> why do you need to hear me preach so that you feel bad? I think you're guilty of something. And you just feel like, oh, the more guilt and shame I feel, the closer to Jesus I'll become. What? What kind of warped thinking is this? Jesus didn't come so that you and I would feel guilt and shame. Jesus came so that we would be free. Free of condemnation. Living in the grace that he freely gives us. If you feel guilt and shame this morning, you can decide one of two things. One, I have some stuff. And I need to get that straightened out. Two, I have bad theology. I have bad theology. My concept of God is not true. My concept of God is maybe what I was told. But check the spirit on this. I believe he's saying something new to some of us this morning. I have come that you would have life, that you would have it abundantly. I've created you in my image. 
No longer do you have to live the way of the devil. I've empowered you from the inside out to become all that I've called you to be. You are a child of the Father. We need cleaning up, don't we? We need cleansing, don't we? We need washing, don't we? We need something that will wash away our sin. And sometimes, if we have lingering shame and regret, shame and guilt, we may need to unwrap the, bat, the past in order to move into the future. We may have to look back and say, okay, why? What happened? What's unresolved before we can move forward? In Exodus, the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, Moses went up to Mount Sinai and received the law, received the Torah from God himself. He got the rules. Brenda talked about the rules last week. He got the rules. And the rules made provision for substitutionary atonement for sin. So in other words, it made room, it, it, it allowed for a... Well, let's put it this way. Uh, when they broke the law, so the law comes through Moses. They break the law because they're human. And sometimes we do things that we ought not to do, which goes against the will of God. So they break the law. They, then they kill a lamb. These were the, this was the provision that was made. They killed a lamb, a spotless, perfect lamb. They spilled some blood, and then they didn't have to die. That's the long and short of it. You sin. Kill a lamb, spill some blood, you don't have to die. This was like substitution, but not resolution. Absolution till the next infraction. Till you turned into a, as we've called it, a mistaker again, a sinner again. If, if you were a Jew, this was the situation for over a thousand years. And then comes this crazy man out of the wilderness and here comes who we know as John the Baptist. He wasn't really Baptist. I mean, he wasn't Pentecostal. He was just baptizing. This was something new. He was called John the Baptist. Mark 4 says he was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Mark writes this. He says, all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem. I suspect that might be an exaggeration. I can't imagine. Well, I can, but then I can't imagine that all the people of, this, of, of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem showed up. But the point is, you and I exaggerate sometimes too. We look around and we say, the room was completely packed. Well, there was plenty of seats available. We do this thing. And I think Mark was probably doing that, but he was making a point. He was making a point that so many people were coming that there were representatives of the Pharisees, the, 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 uh, the leading religious people. They were sent to say to John, who are you and what are you doing? Who are you and what are you doing? They asked him if he was the redeemer. 
This long-awaited redeemer that the Jews knew was coming to set them free. But he rejected that title, said, I'm just the forerunner. Isaiah talked about me. I'm just the forerunner, clearing the way for the Lord's coming. And in John 1, he tells them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. He's saying, I'm baptizing with water, but there's one coming that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. There's one coming that isn't just going to do something surface of, on you. It is something, there's something coming that is going to give you new life. New life. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know how, how that sounded to those people? Who for 1,500 years had lived this tradition of animal sacrifice to take care of their sin, though temporary. Think about something today that we hold up as an absolute. And now think about the people coming along and pointing at that and saying, no, there's a different way here. There's a new way. This is what uh, the Jews of that day heard him say. He's pointing to this and saying, hey, we all know it's, a one, it's not a one and done. We all know it's not a one and done. We have to keep killing lambs, but here is the one. Here is the one who takes away. He lifts up. He carries away all sin. Jews, Gentiles, free, slave, you and me, all of us. He picks our sin up and takes it away. See, the gravity of this may have escaped those uh, Jews that heard this. They may not have, I mean, they may have heard it, and they were into being baptized and simply didn't really register. But at the end of Jesus' life, when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he's celebrating the last Passover meal, he takes the bread and he takes the cup. And when he says, this is the new covenant in my blood, that's a dagger in the old system. That's death to the old system. He's saying, this is now the final, I will be the final sacrifice. No longer will blood need to be shed for the redemption of sin. Here's the thing I know about human nature. Here's what I know about you. We hear this and many of us have determined and we've stated, we have, we have been in the church We've said we're following Jesus. That's what we do. We are free indeed. We love to say how free we are. We're living in freedom. And I don't mean the United States of America kind of freedom. I'm talking about spiritual freedom. We're living in it until life hits the fan. And then what? And then what? And then for some of us, our spiritual infancy becomes super apparent because we concur with John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We can name the devil's attributes super well. And we can say he's done this, 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 and this. 
We can blame him. But we forget about the second part of John 10, 10, which says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. How do you live an abundant life? How do you live and how do you define abundance? Let me help. Is it not that we live with a clean slate? Is it not that we live with clean hands and a clean heart? Is it not to do as Jesus taught us to do, which is to pray to the Father, to forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? I had someone tell me years ago, her father was abusive. She had a terrible relationship with him. And by the time I got to know her, she had experienced, like he had died years ago. I'll never forget her words. She was, she was a perpetual mess. She didn't just have some problems. She had lots of problems. Some of them done to her. Some of them of her own doing. So in one of my conversations, I started pressing in. I do that sometimes when I'm in conversations. I find the hot button and then I sort of poke my finger in it to see where it goes. I put my finger on the hot button and I poked. And then I put a little more pressure on it. Finally, I hate my father. Hate him. Hate him. I will never, never forgive him for what he did. Never. To which I said, he's dead, right? He's dead, right? Who are you punishing with your unforgiveness? Who's being hurt? Your dad is experiencing zero, zero impact by what you're doing by living in unforgiveness. But you, you look at your life. Do you guys see, are you tracking? Do you see the significance of this inner work? This deep inner work? I wonder if you've received the godly perspective that all of your life is a life of living in forgiveness. This doesn't mean you're a floor mat. It doesn't mean you're a floor mat. It doesn't mean you were created to be stomped on, walked on, spit on. Living in forgiveness means that you are receiving it for yourself first. If you don't, live, if you don't receive it for yourself first, it's going to be next to impossible to extend it to other people. 
And for many of us, our story, the starting point of our faith is experiencing personal forgiveness for personal sin. One of the great lies that many of us subscribe to is that to release others is a sign of weakness and compromise. But to keep punishing ourselves with guilt and shame is somehow a show of strength and somehow it's deserved. If you don't believe me, listen to yourself talk someday. What are you saying to yourself? What's your conversation with yourself? Paul, in his writing to the church in Colossia, says in Colossians chapter 2, he says, he forgave all our sins. Notice he didn't say he forgave some of our sins. He says he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. See, you guys, every faith tradition, every faith tradition offers an answer to our guilt and shame, to our sin, but no one made the claims that Jesus did. He says, I will take away your sin. My death, my blood spilled will be for the redemption of the world. He's either crazy or he's a liar. But Paul says, it's all been done. Jesus took your sin and carried it away. In Romans 8, Paul writes this. He says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Would you stand with me? As we stand... I'm going to read a passage of scripture from Psalm 103. And I want you to hear these words. And if it helps you to close your eyes and just listen, if it helps you to hold your hands out in front of you, to receive, do whatever is necessary for you to hear these words. These are the words of David as he writes in Psalm 103. He says, he forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Listen to this. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. It's a gift. Friends, it's a gift that needs to be received. When we receive it, what happens? We receive the peace of Christ which guards our hearts and minds. Jesus' words, forgive them for they don't know what they do, are for you too. They're for you and I. Forgive them for they don't know what they do. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Forgive others. Live the abundant life. Live into forgiveness. Come into alignment with the Father and begin to live, to live, live fully. Experience the abundance and grace of the river of living water flowing in your life. It's like a bubbling spring that never ends. 
When you hit a wall, bounce back. You come under attack, speak life into that situation. Live, live the abundant life, not like a pauper, but as a prince, for that is what you are. You are royalty. You are a child of the king. Do you believe this? Do you believe that you're a child of the king? Will you once again think about the road you're on? Are you living in forgiveness? Are you living from a place that says, I am a child of God? When you do, when you think like this, when you think with a renewed mind that acknowledges that Jesus, Jesus is the one that brings peace. Jesus is the one and done. When you think like this, you live differently. You see others differently. You become different. I feel compelled this morning to tell you that this is a choice. Some of you know that it's a choice. And some of you have decided a long time ago to make the choice, to live into who God says you are. Some of you in the room this morning and some of you online this morning need to take a serious inventory who you have believed. Have you believed yourself to be someone that you're not? Are you believing right now that you are not worthy? Let me say to you, like you are worthy because Jesus has made you worthy. All you need to do is extend your hands and your heart Open it wide up. Do whatever you need to do to taking a posture that says, all right, I'm gonna live into this redemption that's been offered to me. I'm gonna live into this abundant life that's been offered to me. And I don't know whether you're sitting on the couch this morning or you're still in bed or you're listening to this two years from now. Jesus has come that you would have life. And it's not just a cliche, it's not just something dumb that religious people say. It's the truth of scripture and it's the truth in our lives. Do you trust him this morning? There's a real need for salt in our world. Like really salty people. And I don't mean like, oh, she's salty. I don't mean that. You know what I mean. We need great flavor. And I often see us as the people of Jesus here at the corner of 5th and Madison as people that, like, we don't just have like the, the, you know, the table, plain old table salt. We don't just have that. We've got like the expensive Himalayan pink sea salt. It's not just throwaway salt. 
It's like the good stuff. And it's like given to us in abundance. And what are we doing with it? We're just letting it like collect some moisture and then we got to throw it out. Or we can be those people who are taking that pink Himalayan salt and we're shaking it all over everywhere we go. We're seasoning. We're bringing seasoning, not the kind of seasoning that we want to spit out, but the kind of seasoning that absolutely brings peace to the people around us. The kind of seasoning that says, what's, a, what's with that? Where'd you get that pink Himalayan salt? Because I want some of that too. Whatever you've got, I want. But if you and I do not live in a place of forgiveness, if we don't make that the starting point for a life that is abundant, we won't ever get there. We will not leave. I can guarantee you, you will not leave a life, live a life of abundance if you do not live in a place of forgiveness. And the only way that I know, the only proven method, if you will, of living into forgiveness, living a life of forgiveness, is to receive Jesus and allow him to the, do the deep, deep work. And for most of us, that work is ongoing. I haven't arrived, and I'll bet you haven't either. It is an ongoing process, a process many call sanctification. Over time, we become who God has called us to be. But I'll tell you what, the day that I said yes to Jesus was like a light switch, flipped it, and I became a different person in that moment. And it's been a journey since then. So I don't know if you've started or if you need to start right now, but I'm asking you to come and make a decision this morning wherever you're at, whatever you need to do to live a life that is worthy of the calling of God on your life. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.